If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one there in front of you. And if you don't have one at all, we'd love for you to take that Bible home with you. We'd love for each person to have a Bible. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. And this is the last message in our series called Beyond the Bio, where we're looking to get to know God beyond the biography, beyond the details and the informational knowledge of God. We want to experience God in deeper and more powerful ways. And so that's what we've been talking about throughout uh, this, this series. And today I want to take us into really what is that, that final step moving beyond that personal relationship into something, something greater. Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 12, it says this. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions to the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I'm gonna tell you about a, a guy I read about recently. His name was Rich Alotti. And Rich Alotti is a professional poker player. And just when I was deciding to be a pastor, that's what I was trying to figure out if I should be a professional poker player or a, a pastor. Well, Rich Alotti he was sitting down at a, a poker table and he struck up a conversation with another professional poker player and they began talking about all kinds of things and it led them to making a $100,000 bet. The other poker player bet Rich Alotti that he couldn't survive for 30 days in complete isolation. Well, he was a poker player. He's not gonna turn down a bet, right? And so they went and made their preparations. They took out an Airbnb of a mansion uh, on the outskirts of, of Las Vegas. And they went into a master bathroom, a big, luxurious master bathroom. And they went and prepared. They put soundproof materials all over the walls and make sure that it was all darkened out because he was going to be spending, the goal was 30 days in complete isolation and complete darkness. And so a couple days before he was supposed to, to do this, he went and got, he got a layout of all of the, the markings because he, would not, he wasn't going to be able to see where he was going or anything like that. And finally, he started out. At day 20, he called out, and finally, people were, you know, thought that he was desperate enough that maybe they would respond. And he ended up talking with this other poker, poker player, and they negotiated a buyout at 20 days. Still gave him some money, about $60,000 of the 100000 I thought that was pretty nice of him. Complete isolation. And what Rich Alotti came to find out is what you read with a lot of different people 
in their experiences of complete isolation. I read stories of a woman that was captured in northern Iraq and, and stood in an Iraqi prison in complete isolation. Ex- exploration teams that have made their way through Antarctica and, and, and places like that, complete isolation. They all report the same thing, that there are very troubling effects that come from complete isolation. At day three, Rich Alati began to experience hallucinations. And many people will say, in the second day of complete isolation, they will begin to experience these different things. And over time, even if people have limited exposure and contact with other human beings, people that generally live to themselves, generally live in isolation, they experience long-term physical effects. Research shows that people have higher blood pressure. If they're left more in isolation, they're more prone to infections. And over a longer period of time, people that experience general isolation are more prone to experience dementia when they get to a certain age. All of this signals to us something that we probably know, it's pretty obvious. We weren't made to be in isolation. And we were not created to be alone. This is important to keep in our minds as we read about the story of the leper and Jesus in Luke chapter five. Because beyond just the the physical disease that this man was facing, he was experiencing complete isolation. Now, leprosy in the first century was probably a little bit different than we know it today. Today, we call it, the correct term is Hansen's disease, and it speaks to this uh, attack on the nerve endings, and there's a loss of a feeling in extremities for people that have this disease. And eventually, over time, they, as you can imagine, they experience a lot of infections and other things. They can't, their body can't address them because they, they can't feel them. And so a lot of people, their, their limbs, their fingers, they fall off and it eventually leads to death. And it's highly, highly contagious. And so in the first century, all they knew is that it affected the skin and it was highly contagious. And so anyone that would get a, a blemish on their skin or a rash of some kind, there was fear that they'd have leprosy and all of them were cast out because of, of it being so highly contagious. Cast out of society. Even in the book of Leviticus, we read that there are instructions for how to treat such people. That if someone contracted leprosy, they were cast out of the community and that even if they were to come into some sort of relative distance with another person, They were to cover their upper lip, and I have no idea what that means, but they were supposed to cover their upper lip and shout, unclean, unclean. Traditions even began to develop where lepers would have to wear some kind of bell around their neck so that people would know that they're coming so that they would have no human contact. There was even colonies little communities set up outside of the larger cities for people with leprosy to to live to themselves away from everybody else. And you can imagine this young man, this man that came up to Jesus. He had not had any contact, not with his his family or his, his community. He was completely isolated. Now what's interesting in this scripture is that in Luke chapter four, we read about Jesus getting going in his ministry. And much as what we see in the gospels, they are trying to prove Jesus' divine power. In many ways, depending on the audience that the gospel writer was getting at, 
they did that in different ways. So example, in the book of Matthew, it begins with a long genealogy because Matthew's audience was largely Jewish. But Luke's audience was a little bit different. And so as Jesus begins this ministry, Luke is very particular to unveil the fact that Jesus was displaying his divine power, except he was not being embraced in his hometown of Nazareth. And he said, he rebukes them. And he says, you know what? You, this is just like Elisha, the prophet. He was not embraced in his hometown either. And he didn't heal anybody in that. There was no power revealed in that place except for one person, Naaman, Naaman the leper. He was a commander in the army and he was healed of his leprosy. That was the only example that Jesus gave. Almost like a foreshadowing of what was going to happen later in chapter five. By now, Jesus is out of the city of Nazareth. He's displaying his power through miracles. And a leper hears about this and approaches Jesus. Now, this was risky for a leper in that day to approach a clean person. But he approaches Jesus. And he said, and I love this, this, this faith, but this humble gesture, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, as we might expect, says, I am willing. But what was really amazing in that moment is that Jesus reaches out and he touches this man. I don't know how long it had been since this man had felt the touch of another person. And the scripture tells us that he was instantly healed. Instantly healed. And you can imagine the celebration and the exuberance in, in this guy's heart. I mean, he just wanted to go out and tell everybody what had happened, but Jesus said, no, don't do that. He says something weird and, and, and strange, and this is the part I want to focus on. That the miracle of Jesus, what Jesus does is amazing in this man's life. But the miracle continues in some instructions that he gives to this man. And we read about it here in Luke Chapter five, verse 14, I'll read it for you again. It says, then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. And this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. And what we have here is Jesus displaying an equal concern both for his physical well-being but also his social well-being. That as much as he needed healing of his physical ailments, he also needed healing from the isolation that had been given to him by society. And I actually happen to believe that Jesus, whenever he says something, he does something, he does it very much for a purpose. I wonder what Jesus was getting at with, with this. You know, it's easy for us to see our faith. And, and we've been talking about this in our series, Beyond the Bio, that a relationship with Jesus is very personal. Very personal. It goes deeper than just the, the surface level sometimes that we make it, that we have to reach within ourselves. And, and Pastor Steve talked about that the last couple of weeks. We need to reach within ourselves to understand what God is doing in us. It's very, very personal. But it doesn't stay that way. It doesn't stop just on, on the personal or the, the intimate level in our relationship with God. 
I've mentioned before a good friend of mine and mentor, Steve North. He runs a ministry in the city of Toledo. He works largely with the homeless, but with others as well. And he realized this, and he often teaches people this, that the people that he ministers to and the people that he talks with that are stuck in poverty or homelessness, he said, look, it's not the poverty, the homelessness that really gets people. Let me tell you, it's the isolation. It's the fact that people that are stuck in this cycle of poverty, they feel isolated. And so in his ministry, he decided to have a community dinner every single month. And he just invites everybody into his house. And he gets donors to supply the food and there's this huge spread of food. And there's so many people that come in and there's all kinds of people. There's homeless people. There's people that he meets on the streets from the city. There's college students. There's people that drive in from the suburbs. And there's this amazing tapestry of people that are just sitting and having a meal together. And in that you see the work of God bringing these people together to experience what it truly means to be the community of faith. You see, our relationship with God is personal, but it's never private. Our relationship with God is deeply personal, deeply intimate, but it's never private. It is a shared relationship with God. And we experience God not just within us, but out and around us as, as well. Author Brene Brown speaks to this in addressing what can be seen as how we typically approach faith as this sort of lone ranger type of approach. And she says, one of the greatest barriers to connection is the cultural importance we place on going it alone. Somehow we've come to equate success with not needing anyone. Many of us are willing to extend a helping hand, but we're very reluctant to reach out for help when we need it ourselves. It's as if we've divided the world into those who offer help and those who need help. And the truth is, we are both. We're not simply people extending a hand to those people over there. We are equally in need of that same help, and that's what binds us together. That's what causes us to be the people of God, reaching out to one another, but needing to be reached into by someone else as well. And we get to know God in that context. There's a scripture that many of us probably have memorized. Maybe you have it posted somewhere in your bathroom or your kitchen. Matthew 18, 20, it says, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. How many of you have heard this scripture before? How many of you remember that Jesus declared this at the tail end of addressing conflict with two people? <laughs> if someone sins against you, go to that person. And if they don't respond, get another person to corroborate your story. And then they don't respond, bring the church involved in this. And then here he, he captures the whole thing because God is in the midst of this. Even in the high times, even in the glorious times, even when we see harmony with one another, God is certainly there. We feel that, we experience that. When we're encouraged or held accountable by somebody, we hear that, we feel that, we experience that. But you know, God is in that mess too. And let's face it. We all have either felt or know people that have directly felt the harm and the hurt that comes in being the people of God. 
You know, they always say the best part about church is the people. And the worst part about church is what? The people. A mentor in seminary, he was talking to us, you know, aspiring pastors. He said, look, as you as the pastor, you are shepherds of, of the flock. But let me tell you something, sheep bite. <laughs> and I've experienced that to be true. My guess is that some of you can think of someone off the top of your head right now that has directly left the church because of how they've been treated in the church, how they've been hurt and harmed. And that happens. I mean, if Jesus is saying, come as you are, I want, to, I want you to come into the presence of Christ so that God can do his transforming work, that means that we're gonna come in with all of our, our messes, all of our brokenness, all of our hurts, and sometimes there's collateral damage to that. And I wish it weren't the case, but it's true. And I have felt that, and you have felt that at times. And it has repelled us sometimes from the faith. And maybe even sometimes it has allowed for us to believe a lie that we can just go it alone. That we can just do this faith thing on our, by ourselves. That we can just have a relationship with God that is private and secluded and distanced from everybody else. And we haven't opened ourselves up to the fact that we need each other. That we experience God in the presence of the community of faith. That's how God designed it. It's personal, but it's never private. When we look at this text in, in Luke chapter 5, originally when I read it for the first time, I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting tag onto what Jesus did, the miracle of Jesus. He healed this leper, and then he did something else. He told him to go to, to the priest. But an even careful look at what Jesus ordered and what Jesus did shows that actually there are three different commands that he gives him. So I want to take some time to look at, the rest of our time to look at these three different commands that he gives to this, this leper. And I, I see them really as layers or stages or maybe even um, different components or seasons that my guess is that each one of us will find ourselves in any one of these different places of invitation, of, of, of direction from Jesus. The first one in getting to know God more in community is when Jesus says, go. I have healed you, enjoy that, but now I want you to go. I want you to get out of this place of celebration and joy, and I want you to go and present yourself to the priest. Those of us in Celebrate Recovery, we understand this, the power of just showing up, just going. And some of you, maybe you know this, that maybe you've gone through just all kinds of things this week, or maybe you're here for the first time and you don't know what you believe or where you are in your relationship with God, but you just showed up. And let me tell you something, that's powerful. That's important to just show up, just to go. At Celebrate Recovery, we say that. We say, keep coming back. Keep coming back. It doesn't matter what you're, even if you've fallen, even if you've fallen off the wagon, even if you find yourself in the same cycles of addictions and hurts and habits and hangups, keep coming back. Show up. Go to reestablish your place within the community. Go. Take that step. Go out of your current placement and take the opportunity to go. And you know, I've wondered, how many times we, 
we kind of stand in our places and we fix ourselves in, in one particular place. There's no God, I want you to come here. I, I want you to come where I am. I want you to meet me where I'm at. And we develop a whole thought process around this, a whole theology around this. Uh, author Sky Jatani, he, he talks about this. He, he, talks it, he, he mentions it as a posture, as a faith posture. And he calls it life from God, where we as believers, we just stand in a fixed place and all we do is we expect people to come and, 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 and give us what we need and, and do for us what, what we need for God to, to do. He highlighted this in an illustration. It was an experiment done by a psychologist who had ink, did the ink blot test, and many of you know the ink blot test, and he said, what, what these different images, tell me what it represents of God. Tell me the picture you see of God in these ink blots. And after he assembled all the research and everything, he brought it all together, and he looked at the people who were saying it, he realized something very remarkable, that each person was describing God just like themselves. And here we believe that, that we have been made in the image of God, and yet we seem to reverse that, don't we? And we construct God in our own image. And the research goes on where it shows how in this hyper-consumeristic culture, we kind of just expect God to just meet our particular needs. Here's what he says about it, this guy, Chitani. He says, um, when contemporary and relatively affluent people look at the God inkblot, they don't necessarily see the God revealed in the Bible or even the God presented by rational science or superstitious traditions. No, they see a divine butler a cosmic therapist, a holy vending machine who dispenses the wares and wisdom that they desire. Does this convict anyone? Sure does me. Go. Go from this place of celebration and present yourself to the priest to be received in good standing with the community. So Jesus says, go, and then he says, show yourself. Show yourself. Let yourself be seen. Reveal yourself. You know, if you've been in church a long time like I have, and church becomes sort of the pattern and the rhythm of your life, and you're just used to going at church, it gets a lot easier to just go to church and not be actually present. <laughs> to not really reveal yourself. You know all the lingo. You know what to say. You know how to behave. You know how to do all of these different things. And sometimes we Christians are so good at presenting that front and wearing those masks and pretending that everything's all good. We are blessed people, but deep down inside we're struggling. I was talking with someone recently who was describing to me, maybe it's because I'm a pastor, there's more freedom. People sometimes feel to reveal some of the real things going on in their life. And he, he was re revealing these things. And I said, hey, have you talked to anybody about this? No, I'm working on that. Okay. But that's what the church is for. That's what the community of faith is for. Not to minister to and encourage and lift up a different version of yourself, but to reach into who you really are and what you're really dealing with. And we as a church, one, in our mission statement, we use a deliberate language that we seek to be an authentic community. And that word is powerful, authentic. It means that we want to be real. We want to be honest even if it means we're ashamed or we're struggling 
we're not living into that relationship with God in the way that we want to. Show yourself. Let yourself be seen. Author Brene Brown, she's been critical in the researching this idea of vulnerability in a way that maybe, even though it, how common it is, here's what she says about it. She says, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's, it's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. I feel like that needs to be underlined. It's not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage to take the risk to allow ourselves to truly be seen. Now, I'm not inviting you to just air your dirty laundry to any stranger in the church, but who are those critical people that are with you, that you trust? Do you have those people? Have you prayed about God bringing you that group? Have you tried one of our smaller groups that provides that community for you that encouragement, that accountability, where you could say, you know what, I, can we stop for a second? I'm going through this. Because we want to be that church for you. We want to be that kind of church that's willing to stop the agenda so that we can allow you to be your real self and allow you to be seen by God. He says, go. He goes, says, show yourself to the priest. And then he says, make an offering. Now I kind of... <laughs> This guy has been dealing with leprosy and has been outcast from society. He's been through a lot and you're gonna ask him to make an offering? What is with that? But you know what? It's the same as saying, make a contribution. That no matter what you've been going through, if you are a part of the community of faith, you have something to offer. You have something to give to bless someone else with. 1 Peter 4 uh, accentuates that uh, in, in the letter uh, from Peter. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Even if you are one of those broken people coming in, you have something to offer. I was talking with someone recently in the church about this. And this person had been through a lot in, in their life. And through the healing of God... This person is now ministering to other people who are going, currently going through the same thing that this person had gone through in their past. Can you believe that your broken past can also be used as a way to bless other people? And that's how God works. And he invites you to come and to be a part of the community, to get up out of your place and to go and to show up and, and make your presence known and then to let yourself be seen and then make a contribution because God has given you the gifts to do so. And we don't know, we cannot see or even fathom what God can do through us. And look, I mean, Pastor Steve and I talk about this all the time. You know, we've had our theological training and, you know, been pastors for some time now. It still amazes us how God can just sort of use us despite us. <laughs> 
And we just sort of laugh about it and we give thanks. It truly, truly is amazing. So this is the final week of this Beyond the Bio series where we've asked you to really explore going deeper and knowing God, experientially knowing God. And I wonder what are some of those things maybe holding you up? Maybe it's the personal side of it. Maybe you've relied so heavily on the church and for others to be there that you wait till you come into this building before you exercise your faith or make your spirit open to what God is doing and you don't realize that God is at your house, God is at your workplace, God is at your school, God is already at those places and you have free access to him in those places. In the first week of this series, I, I said, I talked about the, the temple curtain tearing in two and that signified that God was on the loose, that God no longer dwelt in the temple. Well, where does God dwell now? In us. In us, in, in me and in, and in you. And so the depths of knowing God more are found in those places, within us and around us and each member of the body of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've leaned too heavily on church and have neglected the personal side of it, but, but maybe you've secluded yourself and maybe I could point and address our online audience right now. Because <laughs> it's so easy sometimes, isn't it? To say, well, the, you know, it's my personal faith. I'm going to keep it to myself. And we seclude ourselves and we distance ourselves off because we're afraid of getting hurt. And I get that because I've been hurt too. But you know what? God didn't design us to be alone. God didn't create us to be in isolation. He designed for us to be the beautiful, glorious body of Christ, to represent him in all spaces. And my guess is that for as much as those of us that have been hurt, the longer we stick with the body of Christ, we have more success stories than we have stories of our hurt. And I hope there's forgiveness and I hope that there's healing there for you so that we really can be that body of Christ that, that God has, has designed. So whatever your next step is in that relationship, I hope you feel encouraged to go further, to explore more what God is doing within you. To not settle for the same old routines and habits and gestures, but to really follow where Jesus leads so that we all can grow as his disciples that are full of his presence and his passion and power and then can represent him out in the world. And that's what our next series is going to talk about, representing Jesus in the world in all kinds of places. So I'd like to maybe pray for us. Would you stand as we close? And if you would allow me to just to pray over you, it would be something I would love to do. Holy God, I lift up each person both that are here in this or in this physical space, but, but listening online. I pray for each individual and I celebrate, Lord, how you have uniquely crafted each person 
how you have uniquely designed each person here, each individual. What an amazing tapestry of people. And I pray for all of us collectively as the body of Christ. That full of your presence and your power, we could take with us the light that shines into the darkness. Lord, for those that have been struggling in their own personal walk with you, I pray for them. And I I pray, Lord, that they would hear your divine invitation to come closer. For those of us that have been struggling with church, I pray, Lord, that, that they also would hear that invitation to take a chance and to connect with somebody and to be blessed by the presence of your community. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for each person here. And as they go forth, let them shine your light. Pray all this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So people of God, go carry Jesus with you wherever you go. Grow in in your relationship with him and do it together as his body. Go in his name. Amen. You're dismissed.